The book of James. You know, uh, Pastor George has been talking about it. We've been talking about it. And um, I'm just going to read a little bit of commentary on the context. So just to let you know that as you're, as you're reading your Bible and you're, and, and you're seeking to interpret your Bible and you're, 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 you're leaning in, a, a good interpretation tool is context. And it kind of gives us a light of what's going on. And you've heard a little bit about it already, but I'm going to remind you. And sometimes that's good as you're reading through the Bible. You might read a couple chapters, pause a day or two, maybe even a week sometimes, and you go back. Sometimes it's good to skim the context before you get back in to the reading, and it'll help you understand what the writer's trying to say or what the Spirit's saying to the church, right? We believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. And so a little, little context, the author we know is James. Again, he's Jesus' brother. He's the leader of the Jerusalem church. And I like what this commentary said right here. It said that his audience, James's audience, would be primarily people of a Jewish upbringing with a fairly recent acquired Christian faith. So these were new Jewish believers, and they were experiencing severe persecution at that particular time. They were actually also mourning uh, an apostle or, or a, 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 actually a great man of God at that time by the name of Stephen. He was stoned to death. You can look at that in Acts chapter 7. So the church is being persecuted. One of their main leaders has been murdered, essentially. And how many know that can work on your faith? Almost all the Christians, except for the apostles, uh, like as, as for James, they were driven from their homes in Jerusalem. Some call it the great dispersion. And uh, they, they lost possessions. It'd be like me driving you away from your house right now. You're going to lose your possessions. You don't have any more income. You know what I'm talking about? And there were an abundance of circumstances in this particular time area that would cause confusion, that, that would cause fear, that would cause loneliness, that would cause anger, that would cause sorrow and poverty. You can think about it, real persecution uh, we haven't quite faced yet, but it does some things in the heart. Hardship, and that's why we read in James and says various trials of all kinds. We face trials today, they had trials yesterday, but the, the most probable purpose in this context is to encourage the, the suffering Christians in the face of this hardship and to strengthen them for faithful Christian living, our faithful acts of service, our living hope, if you know what I'm talking about. Basically, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the dispersion, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the murder, God is still calling you to continue in the faith and to carry out his mission. How many of you know they were probably pretty hungry to sit down and read the letter from James in the context of what's going on? They probably weren't falling asleep. They're like, what's God saying? What are we going to do? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. We submit ourselves to it, God, and we ask that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And amen. So the main idea, we're, we're actually going to be in, um, so if you're carrying along with us, James chapter 1, verse 26, all the way to James chapter 2, verse 13. All right. I'm going to put it in Cajun overdrive, as they say. Not a Cajun, by the way, obviously. I married into a Cajun family, and so I love jambalaya and LSU, and so I'm good. I'm not going to be stoned. So the main idea today is true faith is expressed by the way we speak to people, treat people, 
and the condition of our inward man. James kind of focuses in on those three things. And as we really dive into this thing right here, I want you to discipline yourself and and tell yourself, come on, that this message is about you. This message is for you. This message is for me. You know how it is? Go ahead and put your hand on your heart and say this message is for me. Because we have a tendency as we're reading the Word of God to think about somebody else, but not today. All right? Come on. It's like the old song, not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, we are in the Bible Belt, so when you think about religion, sometimes you might think about it in a negative light, like, you know, just going through root routine with no power, no relationship. But right here, really what James was saying in the, in the sense of religion was true faith. So basically, if anyone thinks he has true faith in God, but does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. I love what the message paraphrase says, verse 26, anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. This would be a good time to turn to your neighbor and ask, are you full of hot air? (laughs) They're like, what kind of hot air are you talking about, Pastor? (laughs) Hot air. So true faith really is really what James is saying here is that true faith is expressed in three, three ways. And in this portion of the, of the letter that we're reading, he kind of discloses those three things. And, and the first one was how we speak to and about people. Now what he says is, if you don't bridle your tongue, by the way, the, 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 James chapter three, we're really gonna talk about the tongue, so I'm not gonna blow it up, but he's a bad little critter. <laughs> But, but how we speak to and about people. How about this? How we speak about people behind their back. I wrote this in my notes, and it's going to be kind of funny. I call it mullet hypocrisy. Mullet hypocrisy. It's the smile on the front and gossip in the back. How many of you have a nasty mullet? To, if you have a mullet in here, by the way, I don't like them. However, you're welcomed here. <laughs> Smile on the face, how great thou art, and gossip in the back. Come on, somebody. Woo, that smells like a nasty, dirty mullet that hadn't been washed. <laughs> mullet hypocrisy. It'd be good to put on a T-shirt, by the way. That's the original thought. James chapter one, verse. let's move on. I'm not gonna really mess with the tongue. I know I got you laughing. I got you laughing because it's true for some of you. That old nasty tongue. Mm. True faith will harness the tongue because it's a fruit of the spirit, it's self-control. Verse 27, religion or true faith or faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I'm sure all those people who were blowing a lot of hot air got silent when that letter was being read. How about you? 
The, the paraphrase says this, real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this, reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. The second thing he really highlights there is how we treat people. And he's talking about true faith. He's, he's like, look, there's a lot of people talking a, a, a good, good thing, but how are we treating people? Are, 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 we, are we living open and generous or are we living selfish? Are, are we being light and salt as we go? Basically, are, are we stewarding our life well for the glory of God, right? You know, so many times we, we are motivated and driven by perception of men, the thoughts that they have about us, right, or that they don't have about us, and we're driven by a system that's really outside the system of the kingdom because there's always something driving you, and, and that's why I love the scripture that says, work as unto the Lord, not to man, because your reward is with him, not man. And so, you know, this is for between you and God, right? This is between you and God, and we got to know how we treat people. You know, one way to, 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 to know how you treat people is, is your thoughts that you have instantly about them before your mouth speaks. That's that inner man. I'm not talking about polished people skills. I'm talking about what's going on on the inside when you think about other people. I know they're not as good as you, and they can't do things as well as you can do. What are your thoughts about them? How we treat people. And then the third thing he kind of highlights there is the condition of our inward man. You, kinda, you know, it really ties all together. You know, that our inward man really is the beginning of, of, of outward change. We'll talk about that. But he's saying church, by the way, he's writing a letter to the church. He's, he's writing a letter to Christians He's writing a letter to, to, to young Christians. He's like, hey, guys, we're going to have to be unstained by the world. We're going to have to guard or we're going to have to reject the world's system. We're, we're going to have to reject the world's philosophy. We've we, we, we got to reject it as an individual, and, and you've got to stand and resist it lest it contaminates and contorts the way you think and your worldview. Very easy to do. I can tell you right now what your worldview is going to be and what your perception is going to be and how your mind's going to be uh, developed and indoctrinated by what you read every day. Facebook is horrible, but it can be really good. But I think the most important thing is, is not whether something's good or bad or, or evil or dark, because I think everything can be used for the glory of God. It's a diet inventory. You say, well, I don't have much to read at all. Just read the Bible and, 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 and shut off the noise for a little while. I'm not saying stay uh, dumb. I'm not saying don't understand what's going on in the times. I'm not saying all that. No, 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 no. I'm saying, what's your diet intake? And you're going to, based on your diet, you're going to find out how much fat you got of the world in you. You know what I'm talking about. 
unstained by the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we find that out? In the word of God that's living and active, that's sharper than any two-edged sword, that lights my path and transforms my mind and tests what is good and perfect and pleasing to God the Father. That's where our source is, and that's where the transformation takes place. Let's read this out of Proverbs and contemplate on it for a moment. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart, the inner man, the inner woman, the meditation of my heart, the thoughts of my mind, the motive, right? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk, make sure it's far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you and ponder the path of your feet, your feet, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You. I love that God gives us that power to turn our foot away from evil because greater is he that lives in me than him of the world. And true religion is a lifestyle of obedience to God, both in what we say and what we do. It's a good point. Real good point. I love to examine my own life. How about you? That's enough work in itself. If you got time to examine a whole bunch of people's life, you got way too much time on your hands. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil heart tre treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, here, here comes it again, the mouth speaks. Now, some of you might feel condemned right now. To the believer, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of liberty has set us free from condemnation, but conviction is the way of life for the Christian, and it breeds power, and it, and it, and it, and it breeds joy. And, and a lot of times, if I feel like my heart's crooked, it's trying to erupt out of my mouth, I just grit my teeth. How many of you have ever grit your teeth before? Honey, I'm going into the back room right now. <laughs> Don't say a word. I'm doing good. Lord, give me grace and self-control. That's okay. That's all right. That, that means you're still in the transformation pro process, and that will never end. <laughs> Welcome to the race of faith. This is great. Yeah? But true religion, true faith comes from a changed heart, and a changed heart comes through a relationship with Jesus. It's our response to his grace in our life, the unmerited favor of God, 
that comes into our life and delivers us out of darkness, delivers us from ourselves, out of that grace that we don't do anything to earn, our response comes out of it through repentance, a change of direction. And that's what he's saying here. We don't want to get the cart before the horse. We can't fix what we're doing without fixing who we are, right? It's the gospel. So as believers, we are to respond to the word and not the world. As believers, we are to respond to the word, not the world. And you know, you're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, well, I'm doing that check. Man, I'm telling you, um, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, you, look, <laughs> Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to a man and a woman, but the end is death. We can feel like we're following the word, but we're following the world because it has slowly indoctrinated us until we're following a doctrine of truth that's not true at all. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God to convict us of all things and, 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 and cause us to continue to make course corrections and, 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 and reprogramming in our mind. It's the way it works. And so we got to respond to the word, not the world. And our focus is basically to be transformed by the gospel. So this is what James is saying, and he's concluding chapter 1. And so we move right into James chapter 2. So he said all that in those 27 verses, and he goes into chapter 2, and he says, My brothers, basically, those who are in Christ... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So, so partiality kind of paints the picture of judging a book by its cover, right? Favoritism. And he's talking to the church because favoritism and partiality is a system of thinking in the world. And it slowly indoctrinates you. You know how it happens? It happens right down there in first grade and second grade. How many first graders and second grader parents do we have in here, third grade? Got a few, a couple of them. You know how it is? You, that, that, that young child comes home and they were, they were, they were, they, favoritism had happened in their life, partiality happened, and they come home defeated. Programming starts at a young age. And what happens is it can slip into the church and partiality or favoritism is a common way that the church, the people of God, we as individuals fall back into worldliness, right? And, and, and he's like, hey, church, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because basically he didn't have any partiality with you. Now we can go back to Jewish elitism at that time and the Pharisees and some of them were delivered out of that. And so they were also being reminded that no, God made a way for the Gentile as well, not just the Jew, and God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. His love goes beyond borders. Come on, somebody. His love goes to the corners of the earth. And he was reminding his people, he was like, look, don't show favoritism. Don't be like the world. Don't be like the evil, crooked, religious system you came out of. They came out of a political, hierarchical system where there was money and bribery and murder and politics behind the scene. Come on. And he was like, look, guys, that's not going to be in the church. Yeah? 
He gives an illustration. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly or the gathering, the community, and a poor man in a shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Mm. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody comes in, I'm not showing favoritism. Do you make distinctions among yourselves? Do you make distinctions with people in this room? Do you make distinctions with the church you're connected to? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? That's a refocus. Come on, somebody. He's like, look, listen up. Basically, my world is not of this world. My system, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a new kingdom with a different system, right? And they knew, they knew, they knew exactly what was going on because some of them probably were delivered out of that. Yeah? But you have dishonored the poor man, verse 6. Now, you can interpret that a couple different ways for you as an individual, You've dishonored another man. Are you not the rich, are not the rich the ones who oppress you, right, and drag you into court? He's like, look, guys, look where you just came from. They were controlling the Christians back then. You know, they didn't like anything to do with it, by the way, and they controlled the court systems. You're talking about real persecution. They hated the Christian. They hated the way. They, hate, they hated Jesus. They didn't want anything to mess with their politics and their power. He's like, look, I brought you out of that, and they, they, they're, they're crushing you in the courtrooms. They're stealing your stuff. Don't be like that in the church, even though it's inflicted upon you. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? That's what he's saying. You know, they're, those, those, that system is blaspheming the name of Jesus, essentially. And he's like, no. We don't want, we don't, he basically said, we don't want none of that up in the house. (laughs) That's what you got to do, right? Sometimes at your home and at your house, we ain't having none of that up in here. Y'all do that often? Partiality, favoritism. You know, I mean, a good question for me is, well, how have I shown favoritism, Lord? Especially in the context of the church. Now, once I'm born again, you know, I shouldn't show favoritism, period. He's talking to the church. You know, think about it in your family. How have I shown favoritism? Just, I mean, I'm talking about in your blood family, much less the called out ones, the community. How have I shown partiality, Lord? How, how have I shown favoritism? Have I been moved by appearance or affluence or assent or age or ancestry or 
affinity or achievement or anything? I mean, it, 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 do, I feel, do, do I feel like my first inclination is to that? Versus, hey, the, 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 the Lord's table is open for everyone who he calls. You know, we are partial, but God is not partial. He shows no partiality. Romans 2.11 says that. God shows no partiality. Now, the, the word of God levels the playing field, and I'm not going to get political with you at all, but what, what I'm saying is that there's no partiality with God. And in context, basically, all have sinned, all people groups, all tribes, all tongues, all nationalities, all nations. Every human being falls short of the glory of God, and God shows no partiality. And his love that is shed abroad through Christ Jesus makes a way for all mankind. Partiality will hurt us. You know, we can accidentally be like the Pharisee who shows partiality or, or shows favoritism or shows comparison. Check out this story in Luke chapter 18 with the tax collector and the Pharisee. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. I said, we're in the temple right here, we're praying, right? One, let me see, went up to the temple to pray. One Pharisee and another a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. Anybody prayed that prayer while you were worshiping this morning? Gleamed up and looked up there. I'm glad I'm not like him. Look at him up there. He's wicked. Did you have that thought? Did you have a thought, right? <laughs> the, God, God knows what's going on. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus I thank you that I'm not like the other men, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or whatever your judgment might be. I don't, I, look. I'm actually too, I actually have too strong of a healthy fear of the Lord to, to pass judgment on you. I, I'm not a drama llama, I can promise you. You can put that in your notes. But um, I don't think I have been given that authority to pass judgment. I, I, I can't walk that plank. I, I don't know. But anyways, verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Basically, I do more than that tax collector standing afar off. I do more than that pastor. I do more than that guy right there. I do more than that small group leader. I do more. I fast twice a week, blah, 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 blah. Sound like hot air to you? Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a real good prayer for you and me. Be merciful to me, God. I'm a sinner. Deliver me, God, from unrighteousness. Transform my mind, God. Change my motives. 
I'm not looking to my left or to my right. That, God, that's your people. You know how to work with your people. God, deliver me from darkness. Change me from the inside out, God. Sounds like a good prayer to me. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, meaning he had the joy. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride's a trap. Comparison is a trap. The gospel levels that playing field. Ain't nobody got time for that anyway. I'm telling you, I ain't got time for that. How about you? What do you want me to do today, God? Right? If you treat people differently based on what they can do for you, your motive is wrong. Very simple. Take that on down to your house. Think about your spouse, your child. And if you're single, put this in your pocket. Watch it. Think about the people on your job. Think about the people in your church. It's an obstacle to loving people. And that's the true hallmark that the gospel tells us that the church has that the world doesn't have. It says that I'll see their love for one another and the glory of God will be seen through that. That's why the old preacher's saying says, how goes the house is how goes the church house. Because if you can't get the love of Christ operating in your home, you sure are going to have mullet hypocrisy here at church. Smile on the front, gossip in the back. James chapter 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. It's the royal law of love. That's what that is. It's talking about the royal law of love. And this is our goal at all times. And love covers a multitude of sin. And this is our goal at all times, period. No favoritism, no partiality, because it's really sin. And there's favoritism in parenting, right? You're favoriting some kid over the other. There's favoritism in marriages. There's favoritism in families. There's favoritism in the church. It is. And it's a system. It is a corrupt system. It's corrupt. It's like a virus. Verse 10 For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Ooh, that ought to light a fire Somewhere. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, we like to categorize our sins and rate our own righteousness based on our own standards or through comparisons. That's what we do, right? But if we're going to compare ourselves to someone, let's compare ourselves to Christ. 
And you know what? The love of God that's seen in Christ. Look, Jesus is our great high priest. That's what the Bible says. And it says that we can, we can boldly come into his presence in time of need. That we, we can boldly approach his throne of grace. And even when we know that we have sin in our life or we're convicted, that drives us to God Almighty, that drives us to our Father, not away from our Father, and God reignites our heart and transforms our mind through our confession to him as a priest, and he stirs our heart to continue on, and that's how we have the victory continually. And that's how you can stand with joy, because it's power. See, when we agree with God, it's power. When, when, we, when we agree with the word of God, it's power. Our confession is power. His conviction is grace in our life operating, which drives us to confession, which is power. It's a form of repentance. And it's wonderful. And God teaches us as his people how to do that. And we t- we're teaching you here today. So if we're going to compare ourselves to someone, let's compare ourselves to Christ. And when we compare ourselves to Christ, what it does is it humbles us. And it causes us to be like that guy in the parable that says, God, without you, I'm nothing. But because of you, I'm everything. It causes you to move into personal contemplation versus comparison. It, it, it causes you to examine your own life according to his word to you. Well, I tell you, as a church, if we, if we would do that, I think that there would be a hallmark difference in the way the culture is, the, the spirit in the room, the the people of God. You know, we're always going to have a reason to get upset. We're always going to have a reason to cast judgment. But it ain't even worth it. I mean, I'm an efficient, efficiency guy, and, and so for me, I'm like, it's just a waste of time. It's literally unprofitable. I got so many other better things I can do. You know what it is? It's a trap of Satan. It's a distraction from a corrupted system that would seek to destroy the community of God, the people of God, and, and ultimately destroy and taint the gospel. That's why the gospel is for every creature, every tribe, every person, no matter your background, no matter where you're coming from. Let's bow our heads right now. I don't know where you're coming from, but I came from a dark place. But Jesus was drawing me, his loving kindness was drawing me to repentance. It's the love of God that draws mankind to repentance. So right now, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you or showing you that you need him and that without Christ it's impossible to please God. 
And so his grace is drawing you right now. Maybe you're online watching. Maybe you're right there in the room. Just surrender to God. Say, Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my will to you. Lord, I believe that you paid the price for my sins, the price I couldn't pay. God, I know that there's no partiality with you and all have fallen short of the glory of God and all are in need of a savior. His name is Christ Jesus. We trust in you right now, Lord. We put all of our hope, all of our faith in the work of the cross through Jesus, the spotless lamb of God. So we surrender right now in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet, church. I want to pray over the church. I'm going to pray over our life, and we're going to get back into that song, Living Hope. And we're going to worship God. Just close your eyes right there where you are. We're going to worship God according to his word. We're going to worship God from the context of a pure and a clean heart. So search our hearts, O God, and see if there's anything wicked in me. Just do that real quick. Search your heart, O God. Search my heart, O God. And see if there's any wickedness in me. See if there's any evil in me. Let the meditation of my heart and my mind be pleasing to you, O God, my Father. And right now, as you're examining your life and as you're contemplating your life, you're just making confessions to your God. You're whispering to your God. You're telling God in your heart of hearts. And as we begin to worship this song, you're going to make confessions to your God and you're going you're gonna, to you're, you're gonna talk about the living hope when you're praying this song as we're worshiping this song and God does a work in our lives so that we can be used to continue in the greatest commission that will never end until Jesus returns. So Father, we thank you right now for your living hope. God, we thank you that your love is unstoppable, God. And Lord, we're praying right now that we would begin to pray out of your love, God, that we would begin to act out of your love, God, that we begin to see people like you see people, God, first in our homes, God, and in our church, God, that we would be a living epistle, God, that, that we would be a living transformation, God, that the work of Christ would continue to go deep into our hearts, God, that we would be like the tax collector that says, deliver me from evil, oh God, and put a new heart in me, God. Come on, let's sing this. Every voice.
Come on, Northwood Church. How many of you found that living hope this morning? Come on, you can do better than that. How many of you found the living hope in Jesus Christ? Come on. Man, we are so glad that you are here today, whether you're here online or right here in our Gulfport campus, that you get to hear and worship Jesus Christ, our living hope. Come on, I think about it all the time. I meet people, you meet people, you work with people. Some of these people, your family members, they don't have that hope like we have in Jesus Christ. They don't have that hope and it's, it, you see it in their lives. You see it on their expressions. You see it when trials come, but we have a hope. And in this season, this season that we, we told, it's Palm Sunday, is this season, it's Easter next Sunday. We need to be even more vigilant to share that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us keep that in mind that people need the hope that we have in Jesus. Wow. My heart gets stirred every time I think about it because I know how many times I've been in a mess and I, did, I had hope. I had peace in the middle of my trial and I don't know what I would do without it. I don't know what I would do without that hope. I have no clue. We're so glad that you guys are here and so glad that you guys have made that decision. And if you're here today and you said, you know what, hey, I, I need that living hope. I've prayed that prayer. I've accepted Jesus Christ in my life. We want to encourage you guys to reach into that, that pocket in front of you. If you're online, next northwood.church forward slash next steps. I want you to grab that card. I want you to fill it out. And I want you, when you leave today, you can place that in to our next steps uh, area right there in the back. But one of our teams, they just want to be able to touch base with you. They want to talk with you, pray with you, encourage you. Make sure we, don't, we can answer any questions you may have and, and help just seal that in your heart. That's the decision that you have made to follow Christ. You can also check on those boxes. You can say, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm new here to Northwood, or I want to take my next steps at Northwood. You can fill that out on that card. You can place it back there. Again, you can do that online as well. Again, one of our team members will be there with you. As well as here in our Gulfport location, if, if there's a prayer request that you have, we're going to have our prayer team. They're going to be right down here in front of the altar after service. You can fill out prayer requests on that next step card as well. Again, we just want to be able to connect with you, partner with you, believe with you that God is going to do amazing things in your life. Amen? Amen. Two more things for you real quick. As always here at Northwood Church, giving uh, is such a vital part of what we do. There's two ways to give. You can give online, northwood.church forward slash giving, or you can also mail that in right here to our golf location that we will do that. We do a lot of great things just because of your giving. Pastor Casey mentioned our mobile missions, uh, but we also have one of our uh, missions highlight this week, which is um, our Children's Cup. For nearly 30 years, uh, Children's Cup has been able to transform uh, the lives of children, to give them hope, to give them uh, a future, to, to allow them to dream big dreams, to change their community. Their goal is to reach every child to help them get out of tragedy or out of loss or out of hopelessness. And I tell you, church, that's where they need it. To get in, in, in a child that has been distraught and beat up and is in, the, in a bad spot, to give them hope, to give them something that they can live for, to give them the, the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we do, and that's what your giving has allowed us to do as we partner with Children's Cup. As well as, as I mentioned earlier, next Sunday is Easter. We want you to be able to take these little cards. Hey, drop them off at a, at a, at a co-worker's desk. Hand them out. Say, hey, listen, I want you to come join us. Listen, I... For me, sometimes I don't really ever pay attention to these. I'll be honest. These don't, but I can't tell you how many stories I have heard of people who do. 
So even if you think this may not do a whole lot, this may be that little nugget that changes the lives of somebody. I want to encourage you to take these cards, hand them out to your friends, coworkers, invite them to join us next Sunday as we worship Jesus on Easter Sunday. Amen. Listen, we love you, Northwood Church. You guys have a wonderful Palm Sunday. We'll see you guys next week.